Hi Lifehouse Church, Seb here and welcome to our online service. We're currently in our series called Origins, which is focusing on the book of Genesis. So strap yourselves in, get your writing utensils ready because we're about to head to the message. We thank you that you never leave the one behind, that every single one of us of the 8 billion people almost that are on the planet. Lord, you still see us, each one of us, by your love, by your grace, by your mercy. So, Father, we just want to thank you for that. We pray, speak to us now as we gather around your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, a few weeks ago, uh, the world stopped uh, to watch the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. Who here watched it? Uh, Yeah, so it was the most watched event in history. 4.1 billion people uh, stopped what they were doing to watch uh, the funeral. And uh, just a week ago, they uh, released her uh, death certificate. And on the death certificate, according to medical science, the cause of her death was old age. Which we kind of accept, we kind of think, yeah, well, we kind of... No one understand that she was 96 uh, years old. Um, but when we actually think about it, it also doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, her, if it was her heart that failed, her heart did obviously stop beating, but if it was her heart that failed, then they would have said that on the on the certificate, on the death certificate. If it was her lungs that failed, it would have said that she died of respiratory things, yet her lungs no longer have air coming in and out of them, but that's not what the death certificate said. It said old age. And again, we kind of know and understand that the Queen doesn't look or didn't in her last days, didn't look like she did when she was 25. Some of you in here don't look like you did when you were 25. So we kind of know, we see the effects that age has, but I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about why we actually do age, why we get older, why eventually we can die of old age, and you may be surprised to know that the thing that actually causes us to die of old age, the thing that deteriorates our body from the age of 30 onwards, is oxygen. That we need oxygen to breathe, we need oxygen to live, and so this very thing that causes life within us Also, oxygen-free radicals in our system slowly kill us. And then water is also another funny thing, because in a similar way, water, we kind of, most of our body is made up of water. We need water every day to live. We consume water in and through our mouths, and yet If we consume water in and through our mouths, it can also drown us. It can also kill us. So these things that 
we need that are essential for life can also bring death. And we actually see both of those things happening in unison in the waters of baptism and in the Word of God. And so today as we continue our Genesis series, we're going to look at uh, the story of this guy called Noah and how these waters brought, yes, about death, but also brought about this new life, new life in Christ. So when we hear that story of Noah, we tend to think of the Sunday school kind of story with the animals walking two by two onto the ark. And when we think about that aspect of it, we can tend to think that this goes along with our expectation of the God of the Old Testament as a mean and judgmental God, bringing death and destruction and punishment and all of this stuff. But my hope is that as we look at the outcome of what God was actually trying to do, that we will see that it was not actually about just this death, death to sin, but that just like in the waters of baptism, God's ultimate aim was to bring about new life and life eternal. And so we're going to look at God's response after the flood to get an indication of the origins of why, because we're delving into these questions of why, why he brought the flood in the first place. So we're going to read uh, parts of Genesis 9, starting at verse 1. So this is after the flood has happened. So as they come off the, the ark, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy all the earth. And God said, This is the sign of my covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. So we're going to look at three different points about what this living water, what God actually does for us. And so our three points today are replay, redirect and reconnect. So that is what these waters of baptism do, not only for these baptismal candidates, but that is actually available to all of us today. 
So, last week we kind of looked a little bit at Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, and uh, there was a part that we didn't go through, but this part that we read today is actually identical, the first, uh, the first verse that we read is identical to Genesis 1.28, where God gives this blessing, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So this is our first point, we're going to look at this idea of replay, that this is actually a, a replay of what was taking place before. And I don't know what you did at recess and lunchtime at school, but when I was at school, we used to play uh, handball. So we would... Uh, why does that get a clap? <laughs> Some fans of handball there. So, uh, so yeah, for those that don't know, it's a very simple game. You kind of... You might draw four squares. If you've got four people playing, you might draw eight squares. Or uh, one time, I think we even had 16 squares. We had 16 different people playing. And so you basically, you just got to hit the ball into your square and uh, into your uh, opponent's square. And uh, it was always great fun. But one of the tricky things was is that when we did have 16 people playing, it was kind of, you know, you'd, you'd work so long to get all the way up to king that then if you made one mistake, all of a sudden you'd be right back to dunce. And that just didn't seem fair, did it? Like... like you wouldn't want to do that just because of one mistake. You know, you had to have 16 good winning shots to get all the way up there and then one bad thing and you're back down to the start unless the ball landed on the line. Now, if the ball landed on the line and it was kind of like an easy shot and wasn't going to win, you could, you could just hit it back and the, the game would keep playing. But if the ball landed on the line and it was a shot that your opponent had delivered to you and there was no way that you could get it back, you could yell, replay, and it meant that you didn't have to go back to dance, that you could stay in your position and the point would begin again from the start. And this is what God is saying to Noah, he's actually yelling, replay. That's why he's repeating that line, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, have dominion over it. That he's saying that I see that the effects of sin, your opponent has delivered on you, it's delivered a hand, it's delivered something that you can't hit back. It's a fatal blow and it should mean that you go right back to the start. But God says, I'm calling replay. Even though you've stuffed up, even though you've allowed this sin into your life and all of this stuff is going on and you should be the one that's out, you can never return from that shot that was played against you. He says... I'm yelling replay. I want you to still be kings and queens. I want you to still have dominion over the things of this world. Someone needs to yell replay over their life today. <laughs> 
you're fearing going back to the start. You're fearing being that dunce. But God is saying through this message, through these waters, that no, you have an opportunity to replay again the hand that God has given you. Then once God yells replay, the next thing that he does is to establish a covenant, a covenant between the creator and his creation. And this is our point two, this is our redirect. He's redirecting because this covenant, this promise of salvation is not only that we get to replay uh, a life free from sin, but a removal, a payment, a redirection, as we'll see, of the wrath of God because of the sin. Because of the sin that we can never pay. And it enabled us to come back into the presence of God. But this covenant, it's an interesting thing because this covenant wasn't just made with the people, it was also made with all the animals, everything that came off of the ark. And why does this matter to us? We're people, we have a soul, like there's all this question around like, will animals be in heaven? Does it really matter? Why does this matter to us? Well, firstly, it speaks to the nature and the character of God. But it also speaks to the nature and character of life. That life, that all life, God sees as sacred. And so there are times when you, like me, feel as though maybe we are as low as a dog. But God says, a dog's life is still sacred. A God's life is still worth redeeming. So this sacrifice that was then part of Noah's flood, where life was lost. And we also read all throughout the Old Testament that there was this whole idea of the sacrificial system where animals were put to death on our behalf for sin. All of that is not supposed to say that life is cheap or animals are worth less or worth nothing. It's not supposed to indicate that God is bloodthirsty, but it's supposed to indicate that sin is bloodthirsty and God is opposed to sin. And so as the people were looking upon that blood that was shed, it was supposed to give them an understanding of just how grievous just how bad their sin actually was, that it was causing this blood to be shed. It was causing this death. It was supposed to be a visual representation of what we do to our soul each and every day when we sin, when we don't obey the voice of God. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention 
is better than the fat of rams. So death is a consequence, not a desire of God. That is what God is trying to communicate to us through the waters of baptism, but also through the flood, but also through the living water that is available to each one of us today. That death is a consequence, not his desire. And so he makes this covenant to show that. And this idea of a, a covenant, it's, it's important to God. And sometimes we can feel as though some of the words that the Bible uses kind of don't have a lot of meaning or don't make a lot of sense to us anymore because we don't use those words in our everyday language. But I felt that God wanted me to share uh, the story of... Uh, mine and Belinda's uh, infertility as a way of explaining the depth of what a covenant actually is. So as I said uh, last week, Belinda and I were married in this very room just over 20 years ago. 18 years ago, we shifted from our little two-bedroom house in Littlehampton up to the house that we are now living in, a four-bedroom house with a granny flat out the back because we were ready to start a family. But then 17 years ago, Belinda had an ectopic pregnancy. An ectopic pregnancy that ruptured very violently, that ruptured so violently, in fact, that it caused her to stop breathing, that she actually died in my arms. I like to think that I'm some kind of super spiritual person, that I knew exactly what to say, exactly what to do, but I didn't. In that moment, it was like my world had died too. But like I said last week, all that we need to know is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So my one word prayer, my... My cry was simply to cry out, Jesus. That's all I could say. That's all I could think of in that moment was just to cry out the name of Jesus. But as I did, it was like an electric shock went through her body and Jesus miraculously brought her back to life. And I was able to rush her to the hospital and get her the medical care and attention that she needed. But that then began a journey. Seven rounds of IVF, multiple visits to doctors and specialists and nutritionists of all kind, all of whom promised hope. But at the end of the day, it wasn't hope that they gave us. All they gave us was a longer and longer list of why this could never happen. So then, a dairy farmer and a chiropractor pointed us towards a hope that never disappoints. Not because 
they were fertility experts, although I'm sure that Roger's probably helped given birth to more cows than just about anyone. But because they knew the same thing. They knew Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that we are to trust Him over any promises that medical science can deliver. And so we trusted God and I became a father and Belinda became a mother but not in the way that we were expecting. And I'd like to say that when we made that decision, when we had you know, those words of encouragement, those prayers from Roger and our other friend, that all of a sudden our lives were just better. Everything just worked well. You know, everything just, you know, we just were able to live this happily ever after life. But that's not what happened. There were days when we were full of faith. But there were days when we were hopeless, faithless. Days where we cried, where we yearned for something that... On one of her down days, Belinda said to me that I should leave her and marry someone else so that I could become a father. But I'd made a covenant till death do us part for richer and poorer in sickness and in health. You see, the covenant, and that means something. You see, the covenant is not there for the good days when everything is going right, where everything goes according to plan. It's not for the days when we were sitting on the beach in in Fiji as part of our honeymoon. No, the covenant is there for the bad days, for your worst days. When you feel like giving up, when you feel alone, when you feel isolated, when you have said that same thing or thought that same thing about yourself, that maybe the world would be better off if I wasn't in it. I know that some of you have felt like that. And I know that sadly some of you will feel like that in the future. But when that day comes... You need to remember the covenant that God made to never leave you, to never forsake you, that never again would you be cut off. This is the covenant that he makes with us. See, it's interesting those words that he used. He didn't say, never again will you be drowned. He said, never again will you be cut off. Because... He wants to come and step in. You see, that's what love does. Love steps in when everybody else is stepping out. And I'm not saying that I'm the perfect husband because I stayed. 
I still make lots of mistakes, still do lots of things wrong. But what I am saying is, if me as a faithless at times, broken at times, sinful at times person can still fulfill a covenant that I made 20 years ago in this very room, then how much more our God? How much more our God to every one of us? In a world that is obsessed with what it can get, leaving behind a wake of destruction, devastation and death as consumption moves in and through our lives. A covenant is only focused on what it can bring, what it can give, which is why it comes into play on that day when we are feeling most depleted, most low. When others step out, love steps in. God stepped in. God does this through these waters. And if you are a part of all living things, if this morning you have air in your lungs, then this covenant is for you. That you would never again be cut off from Him. But how is this justice? How is it that I come with all my dirt and sin. And how can it all just be washed away? Surely that dirt has to go somewhere. If we go into these waters, these waters will continue to contain that dirt that has been washed from us. We sin, we fail, we fall short. There has to be a payment for that. There has to be something that takes place to take away that dirt and that shame. What was the sign that God said that He gave that this covenant was effective? Now, we're used to seeing pointless signs all the time. So mostly we don't take too much notice or attention of signs. But to God, signs are important. Signs are powerful. This particular sign God gives points us the way towards not only the origin of how our sins get washed by water, but this idea of his anger actually being redirected away from us. But away from us and towards who? Last week, you'll remember that we talked about a sword of flame. This week, we're talking about a bow of of rain. 
But you see, the interesting thing is, is that we kind of, when we read this, we just get this Sunday school picture again of this rainbow. And yes, that is what the rainbow is and what the rainbow represents. It is that, that rainbow in the sky, that sort of, you know, when the waters came and the waters receded, there was this rainbow that was left, this kind of arched bow that was there. But the word that's used in the scriptures is not the word for rainbow. It is... And God is saying to us that he has laid up his war bow from pointing at us where it belonged. And that just as we look to that rainbow, the direction of that rainbow is now heavenward. The direction of that bow is now pointing towards heaven because Jesus is the one who takes those arrows for us. That this is the covenant that he is making. This is how he is a just God, but a loving God who takes the sin and payment from us. He took the wrath upon himself. Now, kind of crying a little bit and it's time and so we think that that's kind of the end of the message but Tim's not up here playing keys yet and we've still got another point we've got reconnect because then there was this weird little part of the the story wasn't there when Noah gets drunk and these two guys come in and put a blanket over him. I mean, the book of Genesis is pretty long. It's like 50 chapters. But when we understand that it covers 2,000 years of Jewish history and every word counts, why include this story? Seems kind of odd, but maybe God is trying to tell us something about the entirety of this story. Maybe he's trying to tell us something about the way that we have thought about ourselves and our world around us. And this is what I think it's saying. I think that we kind of have this idea that work is punishment and that rest is the reward for the work that we do. So the weekend is our reward for working all week long. And our four weeks annual leave a year, well, that's the reward for working all year long, and retirement, well, that's our reward for working all our, all our lives. And so then we kind of go, well, if, that's, if rest is the reward for work, then in heaven, there's going to be no work, just rest. And yes, there is rest, there was rest in the beginning, before the fall, and there will be rest at the end in heaven. But there was actually work in the beginning, before the fall, and so there will be work in the end. But work was never meant to be a punishment. Work is always actually linked in God's mind to purpose. 
that in the beginning he spoke, he had a purpose, that was his work, his work was of creation. And so in the beginning, our work was tied to our purpose. Our purpose was to have dominion, to see the earth fulfilled. And so our work was, as it told us in Genesis 1, was to care for the garden, to make sure that that happened. It's always linked to purpose. If you read Matthew 25, there's a parable that talks about the talents and the reward for doing good work in that was not rest, but more work and more responsibility. We get out of balance when we work to find our purpose. But we gain our purpose from God and He always links that to work. You might say, great principle, Josh. What does this have to go with the guy getting drunk and the people coming and covering over him? Well, last week again, you remember that I spoke about the coverings, the fig leaves, the bushes, the excuses, and all of those coverings were no good. But then this week, the blanket gets the blessing. The guys that cover over their their father, that cover their father's nakedness, they get blessed. That's the end of the story. That's kind of the climax. So why is this covering good Unacceptable. Well, the first blessing is still there. We get a replay of that. Remember, we talked about that. But now, after this covenant, this additional work has been added. It is now our job to cover the nakedness of others, not ourselves but others. So in the covenant, what is our purpose? What was the promise? That we would never again be cut off. So our purpose then is in the joining together, the bringing together, connecting people with their heavenly Father. We can't cover ourselves, but we can cover, cover others' nakedness. So the number one job or purpose of husbands is to cover the nakedness of your wife. This is what Adam failed to do in Genesis 3. The number one job of wives is to cover the nakedness of your husband. The number one job of parents is to cover the nakedness of your children. The number one job of children is to cover the nakedness of your parents, as we read in this passage. The number one job of bosses is to cover the nakedness of their employees. And the number one job of employees is to cover the nakedness of their boss and the company they work for. You must say, what does that mean? Do we just lie for them? Just talk about how amazing they are when they're kind of really not. Keep all their faults and flaws hidden. 
comparison that back again to last to hide. So then the antidote to this is to actually celebrate our differences. You see, on the ark, when Noah looked around, all he saw was differences. Because there was only one male lion and one female lion, and they looked different. And there was only one male mole rat and one female mole rat. And they were different. They were kind of ugly if you've ever seen what a mole rat is. But in that moment, it was like Noah is supposed to be looking around and say, if, if just one life is lost, the young, the old, the rich, the poor, the good, the bad, the ugly, the colourful, the dull, if just one life is lost, then they are cut off from their purpose, but also I am cut off from my purpose of having dominion over the earth and seeing it fulfilled. And so every life is sacred and the difference that I see in everybody is valuable. It's not to be despised. It's not to be covered up. But we're to actually celebrate our differences. So wives, how can you cover the nakedness of your husband? You're not in competition with him to try and prove how you're smarter or more spiritual or anything like that. That is not fulfilling your purpose. Young people, you are not in competition with older people to show how you can use technology and make everything better and smarter and faster and easier. Now, your purpose is to cover the nakedness of those who are different from you, to celebrate and highlight the good things, the differences that are there. Turn our eyes away from the faults and the flaws and turn everybody's eyes to the one who truly covers us and washes us clean and brings us life and life eternal. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Father God, we want to thank you that over our lives, you shouted replay. And Lord, I know that there are some people in here right now that need to cry out replay. I need a replay over my life. I've stuffed up. There has been a point that has been delivered against me, that, that sin has come and it's a shot that I cannot return. And so I need to cry out, replay. And I thank you, Father. I thank you, living water, that you give the opportunity 
for a replay in my life. I need that. And I need you. And Father, we thank you that the sin and the wrath and the anger of God has been redirected away from us and towards heaven. That through your covenant, you show just how much you love us, that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us. And although the consequences of sin is death, it is a death that has been redirected from us and towards your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you that you are reconnecting us, each and every one of us, to our true calling, our true mission, our true purpose. And I thank you for the honor and the privilege that it is to be able to cover one another's weaknesses. That you've made us all unique. That we were never meant to do life on our own. That the first thing that you said was not good was that we should be alone. That you've brought us here into this church community. You've given us a family. You've given us brothers and sisters in Christ to do life with, to cover over the weaknesses, to turn our eyes away from the sins, the faults, the shame, that we could be reconnected to each other and that we could be reconnected to our God. Because God on that cross, not only did you turn your eyes away from our sin, but because Jesus Christ took that sin upon Himself, God, you turned your eyes away from your own Son. That He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you were forsaken so that we could be forever accepted, forever reconnected to our loving Heavenly Father. So Lord, we take on that acceptance today, that as you turned your eyes away from your Son, you turned your loving eyes of life and life eternal towards us. As you washed us clean, to bring death to sin, but to bring life and life eternal through your living water. Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, let's worship church. Thank you for tuning into our online service today. But hey, if you got something out of that message, we would love to hear from you. So why don't you head over to life.house and find the My Response section and tell us all about it. And as well as that, we know it was good tuning in online, but what's even better is being here in the house. So we run our services every Sunday at 10 a.m. So we would love to see you here, to hear how your week's been and to fellowship with you. But I hope you have a blessed week uh, and I'll see you around.